So today we've prepared something very special, so it's great that you guys have come today. Um, so let's have a look. I'm very excited to share with you guys today. Me and Ryan are going to do some, something a bit different. So instead of me standing here and boring you all with a 30 minute um, gospel presentation, which perhaps it is quite interesting, um, we're going to do something a bit different. So today I want things to be different. I want us to not approach Easter with the same familiarity that you might have right now. And if that's the case, stop it, because we're going to address that today. Um, and it's great. I understand Easter. Maybe this is you. I understand Easter. I understand Christ died for my sin um, so that I can have a relationship with God. And I mean, yes, and I understand that. But for today and for this time, I want us to reflect upon the cross, um, the events leading to the cross, and to come to terms with what that means for you as a follower of, of Jesus. So, we've divided today into five parts or short segments, and each part will be presented in a form of like a reflective commentary. And following each part, there's going to be an invitation for personal meditation or a short conversation. Um, and I would really encourage you guys, use these moments. These are very, very precious moments, powerful moments. Uh, and use these moments of intercession to grapple with the closing reflections at the end of each part. Okay, everybody on board? We're good to go? All right, so the first part. So we're going to kind of walk through the story of the cross. The King of Humanity, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, Deliverer, the Christ. I think this is it, guys. I think this is it. Honestly, I, it's, it's very surreal to me that I would be able to witness what the scriptures of old foretold. It's a blessing. It's a blessing indeed. I mean, we're here now. We're here in Jerusalem. Surely we will see the glory of the Lord revealed and the Messiah enthroned and lifted up. What a privilege it is to sit here and share in this meal with Jesus. I mean, what a trick it's been to get here into Jerusalem. The stories that we've shared together. Jesus sure is a crowd favorite now. I mean, Hosanna, Hosanna indeed. Um, finally, the people see he's the one who will save us. You know, I sit down, I sit down and uh, I can't help it really, but I wonder, like, who is the beloved disciple? Surely it's me, is it not? Uh, I think that, wait, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing, mate? Je Jesus, no, certainly not. We can get one of the servants to do that. This is clearly beneath you. God, guys, was he expecting one of us to do that for him? I'd, no, you're not going to go anywhere near my feet. This is, this is the job of someone else. It doesn't make any sense. Guys, was he expecting me? No, honestly, everything, everything is upside down here. It doesn't make any sense. Excuse my poor acting. <laughs> you know, the disciples, they spent so much time with Jesus. So much time. Yet they, they still didn't get it completely. Like even when Jesus began to teach his disciples that he must come to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed. They wouldn't have any of that. They weren't on board with that. That's not the Messiah that they wanted. Um, Peter takes him aside at one point. He rebukes him. It doesn't make sense. It's not how things should be. This isn't how it should end. Jesus will deliver us. Yet, 
Here he is washing our feet. You see, when Jesus came to earth the first time, he came not as conqueror and king, but as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And as he revealed in Matthew 2, 20, 28, he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is so much more, so much more than the saviour that the people were expecting. He bore the punishment of those who rejected and wounded him. His humble suffering led to healing and redemption that would overcome all forms of oppression. Jesus was committed. He was completely committed. Through and through he was committed. He was completely committed to servanthood. And we see that firsthand. This is an, an inside glimpse into his servitude. He rose from the suffering. He laid aside his garments, which had to remind him what waited in just a few hours when he would be stripped of his garments and crucified. That's our king. That's our deliverer. He, he's a servant. And at this table for this Passover meal, Jesus was illustrating what the kingdom is about. This love, this devotion and servitude, it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the unfolding of the ultimate act of love. This is Jesus. This beautiful heart of humility expressed with towel and basin was not just that, but it foreshadows his ultimate act for humanity to come. And as he broke the bread and took the cup, he looked ahead at what was to come, knowing the wrath of God that awaited. Yet, he continued, that out of his act of love we might find salvation through him. The Son of God taking on the form of a servant would wash the feet of someone like me. How could I begin to comprehend? What surprises you about this? I feel a bit taken aback. Um, I want us to reflect on this. We're going to have maybe two, three minutes before we start the next part. What surprises you about this? How does seeing Jesus this way change or reinforce perspective about it. All right. Oh. I, I can't um, promise I'll um, do any kind of acting bit like John, um, but we pick up our story and it's after um, the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples have just shared a really intimate final meal um, where they're remembering God's deliverance and his faithfulness and his commitment to um, people through history. And Jesus has washed their feet. All of this is setting up. He is trying to show them the heart of God uh, towards humanity. Um, and so they sing together and then they go out to the garden. Um, and so reading from Matthew 26. Um, then, Jesus, uh, um, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his feet and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Jesus here is in the darkest valley. He's in the pits of death. Um, he knows what's coming. Uh, and he knows what he's about to suffer and what he's about to lose. He feels completely alone. None of his disciples understand um, what he's experiencing. Um, one of them has gone off to betray him and is kind of the reason that he's going to suffer um, so much. And the other one is about to vehemently deny that he has anything to do with him. Um, the rest of them wouldn't even stay up and watch with him and pray. And the greatest suffering of all um, is Jesus' temptation to say no. He could end it right there. Um, he's pleading with the Father, please let this cup pass. Um, he knows he came for this reason, but he's facing the temptation to walk away. And it's torturous um, because he could say no. Um, he doesn't want to face the suffering that, he's, um, that is ahead of him. He is the one who was enthroned from the beginning of the world. Everything is under his command and under his feet. Um, and he could refuse to do the Father's will um, and seize control the situation and take things into his own hands. Can you feel Jesus' struggle here? He pleads with the Father three times. Um, and in um, a different gospel, it talks about how his sweat is like blood. Um, but how amazing is Christ? Here in the darkest hour, he's perfect. Um, he's bringing his desires and wishes to the Father, but um, out of their intimacy and closeness and unity, um, he's pleading with him to change his mind, but he's also attuned to the Father's heart. He knows that the Father's will is for him to suffer. Um, what we tend to forget is going to the cross wasn't just another part of Jesus' life, like he's going through the motions. No, it was him continuing to choose the path of humility, the path of servanthood, um, the path of suffering. And so freely, willingly, he does submit. Um, the rest of that verse says, um, then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on, see the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. He chose the path of suffering, um, and he sets his face towards it. And the prime motivator for Christ is love. He willingly submitted, not because he was subservient or he was incapable of saying no, nor was it because it cost him nothing. He did it for you personally. He did it for you specifically because he loves you. Um, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 read, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Um, we think this choice is easy, but like I said, Jesus suffered, and he struggled to take this path, but he did it anyway. Um, and that is what um, means that he is able to be our true and rightful king and priest. And so what I want us to reflect on now um, is what, and we'll maybe pair up if you're comfortable um, with the people around you, um, share with them what temptations or suffering or difficulty are you facing right now. And knowing how Jesus suffered in the garden, what does that mean that now he is our merciful and faithful high priest in the suffering or difficulty because knowing what he did and how much it pained him to take this path that should transform our lives.
to yeah, pair up and um, share whatever is on your heart. Yeah. Hope you guys had um, a good time of reflection there. Okay, we'll begin part three. Isaiah 53, the atoning suffering and victory of the Messiah. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession to the transgressors. Isaiah 53. He was silent during these trials. He was silent. What do you mean he was silent? Just tell them that what you're doing is wrong. Show them you're innocent, Jesus. They shouldn't be able to do this. Tell them the truth. Show them what you've done. Call forth all the various witnesses who have had their lives changed, the people you've healed, the lives you've, you've saved, Lord, the dead that are risen, the blind who see. But Jesus opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why might, be, why might this be? He was led. He was silent. Why would he do such a thing? How could he be silent in the face of these accusations? He did the opposite of what you would expect of an innocent person, if that was me. It wasn't me. You've got the wrong guy. This, this isn't how it should be. I didn't do anything wrong. You see, his silence pointed to his commitment to his ultimate mission. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus never forgot his mission. He did not come to be exalted. That would come later. 
He did not come to build an earthly kingdom. He came to pay our debt that was due and to reconcile us to God. And when we look at the trials themselves, it's, it's saddening because we see the lengths that humanity would go to for the sake of condemning the blameless Messiah. And the trials, if you look at it yourself, they're fraught with injustice. In their, in their fit and hatred of Jesus, they broke many of their own rules of the Sanhedrin. So uh, criminal cases could not be tried during the Passover. Only acquittal could be heard on the same day of the trial. Guilty verdicts needed to wait overnight. You needed two witnesses to justify the evidence. First, the evidence for the innocence of the accused would be given before the evidence of the guilt. None of this was, was done um, for the sake of condemning the Messiah. Now, when does Jesus speak? Because he wasn't silent the whole time. So Jesus answers when he was asked directly if he's the Son of God. This is in um, Matthew. You have said so, Jesus replies. But I say to all of you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This, this is huge, if you don't say here. This enrages the Sanhedrin and arms them with charges against Jesus. Jesus claims to be the Son of Man, the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 7. This is blasphemy of the highest degree. Or it's truth. Jesus spoke the truth, though sadly the eyes of the accusers were blind to the one who stood before them. And now he's on trial before Pilate. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. To which Pilate responds, What is truth? This is cynical, yet it's deeply profound and touches at the core of what we're getting at here. You see, the irony is that truth stood right in front of Pilate beckoning him to truly see. And where I want to end this part is drawing attention to how we ourselves view Jesus. The reality is we can be completely warped in our own perceptions of Jesus. We can be in these Christian environments, we can attend the meetings, we can do all the right things, but we can still land on a knowledge of Jesus that is so far from reality. Who is Jesus really? And today we're focusing on Jesus as the suffering servant. Who is this man that would suffer to such an extent on my behalf? So would you close your eyes and bow your heads? For this part, I want us to reflect. Who is Jesus to you? Because you see, Jesus desperately wants you to know who he is. The rightful Lord and redeemer of your life, yet someone you can call father and friend. Who is Jesus to you? Is he someone you call upon in times of need? Is he a friend? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he someone you've learnt about your whole life, but you don't yet know personally and don't experience true relationship with? Who is Jesus? Just think about that for a few minutes. So, um, we've just kind of gone through Jesus' 
unjust trials um, and he's been beaten, he's been scourged, he's been mocked um, and he's uh, walking to Golgotha um, bearing the cross um, in an incredibly weakened state and each step he takes he knows he's getting closer and closer to even more suffering. Um, and so reading from Matthew 27 um, verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gold. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over, the, over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Um, how much suffering do we see in this short passage? Um, Jesus has been physically tortured um, and is dying in the most inhumane way possible in all of history. Um, he's already in pain from the beating and the scourging and the crown of thorns, um, and he's carried the cross all this way, um, and then he's nailed to that cross, um, and he's up there unable to catch his breath. Um, every inch of his body is mangled and exposed and, and it's been attacked. Um, all of this excruciating pain and punishment and just sheer vindictive torture at the hands of men completely unjustly. He did not deserve to be here. Um, and then he's being reviled and ridiculed and humiliated. Um, so we think that you know, Jesus experienced all of this mocking um, by the robbers, by the priests, by the Roman guards, um, everyone. And it wasn't just water off a duck's back. No, he was fully man. Um, and so to be reviled by men, to be completely um, unwanted and rejected by all people, um, and he's hanging on the cross completely um, naked and exposed. There is no dignity um, for him, the one who is the king of kings. He is completely alone. Um, there was no one to turn to. Um, no one was at his side, not even his closest friends. What um, heartbreak it is to be that lonely. And then he knows he's going to die. The immortal God, um, who had existed from before the beginning of the world, is going to experience this thing called death, um, the thing that encompasses um, human finitude and vulnerability and frailty, but also the thing that represents man's separation from God. And this is the ultimate way that Jesus suffered. 
he who from all eternity was with the Father and the Father with him, he is forsaken by the Father. Um, he's abandoned by the one with whom he has always been united. We can think um, of pain of being separated from a loved one, but um, just as the unity that the Father and the Son have is beyond us, the pain of their separation is impossible for us to understand. Um, it's unimaginable. But Jesus, he submits. He serves, he suffers, and he dies. First um, Peter 2, verse 21 to 24 say, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The bottom line is this. If this really happened, if Jesus' death is a fact of history, and it is, it can't go ignored. It means something. This is the dividing line of history. Um, why should anything like this have to happen? And the answer is, he did it to heal humanity. But there is more to it. Um, Hebrews 5, uh, verse 8 to 9 says, um, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That means that because he suffered... Um, not only does he bring healing to all the world, but healing only comes through him. He becomes the only source of eternal salvation. And so we can't be disconnected from this suffering. This can't be just another event um, in history. And so as we head into um, another time of reflection, what is it that you're struggling with or you feel like you can't overcome? Is it that you feel too broken or inadequate to come before a perfect God? Is it something in your past that still haunts you that you can't seem to get away from? Or are you too proud to recognize that you need him? Um, you don't want um, anyone's help. Um, are you trying to stitch yourself back up um, because you want to be left to your own devices? Or is there a mistake you keep on making over and over again? All of these things, all of these wounds, all of these brokennesses, um, whatever it is, we can lay it at his feet. He wants it, and he wants to exchange it um, for his healing, freedom, and life. Um, whether this is your first time hearing the gospel, um, whether you've heard it before and haven't made a decision, or whether you're walking with Christ, we need healing, um, and we need his restoration. And so, for the next few minutes, um, I'm going to ask you to pull out your phones, but you know, don't get distracted. Um, take some time to reflect, and, and I want you to write this down so that you can remember it. What is the healing that you need from Christ that you've held back from him? And how can you surrender this wound to him, knowing that in him only will you um, find healing? Um, come to him. Um, come before him and ask for the restoration he's offering you. Um, ask him to renew uh, the power and grace of the gospel in your heart if you know him um, and surrender to him if you don't. The person of Christ is the only one we really need um, and this is the suffering servant sent to die for you. Um, he loves you. Um, he gave everything up for you um, and that should change everything. So as we write this down, remember who it is that you're um, 
surrendering this to you. Do you guys see the picture now? Do you see what it cost? This, everything we've heard today, this is the extent to which God went for the sake of broken humanity. And never forget it, that you were bought at a price, a great price indeed. And Steve was actually saying earlier, one of the most remarkable things of it all is that he died for us whilst we still hated him. It's not as if we were remarkable exemplar beings. We weren't honorable, we weren't reaching out for God's salvation. No, the reality is we wanted nothing to do with him at all to the extent that we nailed him to a tree. But there's good news. It's Good Friday, is it not? It's a bit strange, don't you think? How could any of this be good? From beginning to end, it seems like a tragedy. The innocent lamb of God killed by the ones he came to save. But the story doesn't end with death. We know the story doesn't end with death. It couldn't end there. Christ rose again, defeating sin and death and paving the way for a life free from the captivity of sin. You see, Christ's resurrection is what seals the promise of eternal life in those who choose to call him Lord and accept his ultimate act of love on the cross. We'll read in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The suffering of Jesus, this sacrificial act that we've been talking about today, it's what brought about his true enthronement. We saw in part one, the disciples had the wrong perception of Jesus and what he was about. This is Jesus. He's been exalted now to his rightful throne. And, and here is where we come in. We have the opportunity to come in love and obedience and submit to his rule. Or we can choose to go our own way. To reject the gift of freedom that's so freely offered to us. This passage in Philippians makes it very clear that every knee will bow. The question is, at that time, will Jesus call you as one of his own? Look, my friends, the price is paid. The price is paid. It's paid in full, and it was a very large price indeed. Paid by the one who had no charges against him. Yet Christ submitted himself as a ransom for us, signing onto the lines of our own debt. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. And verse 28, So Christ, having been, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? Are you eager for that day? 
our sin could not be swept under the rug. It's not as if a righteous, holy God said, it's okay, we don't need to address that. That's not the reality of the matter. It couldn't simply be hidden from view, but still operating in the background. It needed to be dealt with once and for all. And as such, the just penalty of sin was paid. And the reason we can celebrate Easter, the reason we celebrate this occasion is because of the many things that we've heard today, that Christ paid the price for me and for all humanity, that he suffered on my behalf out of love for who we are, though we were still living in sin, and that Christ ultimately defeated sin and claimed victory through the death and the resurrection, so I no longer, I no longer need to be dead in my sin. I too have a victory that I can call my own when I turn to Christ. We read Isaiah 53 just before. It says, it was the Lord's will, or it pleased the Lord to crush Jesus. It pleased the Lord. How could this be? See, God's pleasure is not in crushing Jesus per se, but in what Jesus accomplishes in the cross. God's pleasure is not in the suffering of the Son, but in what the Son would accomplish in his dying, namely, reconciling us to God, saving us from our sin, and glorifying the Father's name in the process. There's a, a really interesting line in John 18 as I was preparing for tonight. In John 18, the high priest Caiaphas speaks an unknowing prophecy that it was indeed good that Jesus died for the people. And indeed, we can see together now how any of this could be called good. One final verse for tonight, and then we'll finish up. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, or, pull more actively in the text, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, we're going to have a final time of response. Yeah. So would you bow your heads together with me? Jesus did for you on the cross. Look, what I would encourage you now in this space is don't let this time go to waste. God is calling you. He wants you to experience His love. He wants you to experience true freedom in Him, away from your burdens, away from your struggles. He's inviting you right now to call the Lord and Savior of your life. He's inviting you to be in true relationship with Him. He who knows you and loves you to your core.
Maybe for some of us, you've been here before. Something you've heard before, and something you're familiar with. Maybe you feel as though you've been drifting away from God. You feel as though you've become distant. This here now is an invitation to draw near to Jesus. To truly call Him Lord of your life. In light of what He would do to love you. Discovering the depths of love and freedom that await you. He's calling you. He's calling you to turn.